Hello? Hello? I assume that some of you can hear me. It has come to my attention that not all of the 21st century audience can hear me out with the boundaries of the scheduled broadcast. But I have to believe that some of you can. I have to believe that some of you bore witness to the torture perpetrated against my person, and that some of you can hear me now. When they hired me for this gig, they told me that I was the first and the only agent to use the telesensation equipment. Although they say the investigations are ongoing, I suspect that no one here truly knows what has happened. If you ask me, it is obvious. Someone else has learned how to use the device. Someone else has been unofficially peering into the past. The question is why. I believe it is time I begin investigations of my own. I shall keep you posted as and when I discover anything. And now, to work. Computer, open file sage.0114.0767.omega1 Sage, 0114 Greetings and welcome to the audio-etheric transmission The Tales of Sage and Savant, a Twin Star production. This broadcast is brought to you on the first of each month from the Twin Star Studios in sunny Southern California. Our tale stars Eddie Louise as Dr. Petronella Sage, Chip Michael as Professor Erasmus Savant, Emily Riley Pyatt as Mix Abigail Entwistle, and myself, Justin Bremer, as your humble narrator. This month's program, entitled Stand and Deliver, is sponsored by Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing and features the music of The Cog is Dead. And now, without further ado, we bring you The Tales of Sage and Savant. Come with me and conquer time. Transmigration journeys expand your Last we saw our heroes, they were newly baptized circus performers in the N.E. Camp Grand Southern Circus. As the weeks of performance passed, our pair settled into a routine revolving around the rhythms of showbiz. Mornings are for checking props, mending costumes, and leisurely breakfasts. Matinee performances help shake out the kinks and exercise the horses. But the real excitement begins after dark, as the strings of new-fangled electric bulbs blink into service and the entire carny grounds is transformed into something magical and mysterious. New Year's Eve. Tonight will be our last show. I can hardly believe it. It feels fitting somehow to give one last performance and exit the stage with a bow. <laughs> I will be glad to get back to my laboratory, though. Hmm. Is there nothing here you will miss? Well, of course. I will miss Buttercup, 
and Hiram and Rosa. Of course, if I'm honest, I think I'll even miss Jenny. Mm, I was insinuating something a little more pressing. <laughs> it feels as if we've gotten to know each other on a whole new level these last three weeks. Erasmus, I don't want you to take this wrong, but we haven't, really. We were intimate acquaintances with each other's intellect long before this, and as for the physical congress, well, that hasn't been us. That is Tubbs and Hildy. Not that it hasn't been nice, mind you. And before the professor can respond to this rather callous dismissal of his feelings, the pair are called to the arena. Come on, you two lovebirds. Time to mount up. And so, the hours leading to midnight and their scheduled departure from the circus pass in a whirl of glitter and exuberance. Meanwhile, back in the laboratory, Abigail prepares for their return. Hush now, Montague. Be quiet. I know you'd like for me to remove the mesh so you can just swoop down here and have poor Jimmy for lunch, but that is never going to happen. So I'd appreciate it if you just leave off the squawking. There now, Jimmy. You don't need to fear Montague. I'll keep you safe. Uh, this is interesting, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, I can only experience telesensation for those events around which I have preserved historical records. Those documents are what allow for visual targeting. I am currently looking at Abigail's monitoring logs, and she clearly stated that she was running a systems diagnostic at this point. And how's that little tum-tum, Jimmy? Is that nasty scratch healed? Ah, oh, yes, yes it is! I told you that ointment would do the trick, didn't I? I'm sorry. This offends my historian's ethics. I really have no problem with Abigail's love for creatures, but she should have had more respect for the accuracy of her logs than that. I'll let this be a lesson to you. You can never tell what person in the future may look to your records for enlightenment. You owe that person accuracy and honesty. We shall just have to skip ahead to the moment of our adventurer's recall. I am relieved to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that as the hour of midnight approaches, Mix Entwistle has recalled herself to her duties and has performed checks and such adjustments as required to the equipment, and all is in readiness for the recall. I just realized that it might be a touch sad that Abigail is alone in the laboratory on New Year's Eve, but the girl seems happy and absorbed in her work. As the clock sweeps towards the witching hour, she happily begins a countdown of a different sort. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. The differences I have noted, dear audience, between awakening from a violent death and coming to consciousness from a more relaxed state include a less elevated heart rate, no hyperdilation of pupils, and a more even respiratory response. This return is like an awakening after a long night's sleep. Welcome home, and happy Hogmanny! Oh, yes, mm, welcome. Petra? I'm here, love. In your arms as always. Love? Doctor, are you feeling all right? Uh, I, I'm fine. Why do you ask? Well, for a moment there you seemed quite... Dreamy. I'm sure I don't know what you mean. Oh, it was just a passing phase, Abigail, wasn't it, Petra? Thank you, Erasmus. Yes, 
just an effect of transmigration. How is everything here? Well, the apparatus performed just as he designed. I shall be most interested to see the results of your testing tomorrow. Do you think you've experienced any notable level of muscular atrophy? Well, I certainly feel weakened at the moment, but I cannot discern if that is the true state of my musculature, or if my body is totally normal and just a poor comparison to the athletic specimen that I have been living inside of for the past month. Athletic? Not quite. We were circus performers, and Petra was a lithe and limber assistant to my dashing marksman. Exciting! Oh, I almost forgot! I have champagne on ice to celebrate the new year with you. Why don't you change out of your Faraday armor and then you can tell me all about your adventures? The next two weeks fly by in a flurry of activity. Dr. Sage puts the professor and herself through a number of agility trials. First, to measure the loss of coordination their bodies experience during the month away. And after seeing those results, she insisted they both embrace a rigorous program of calisthenics. She cleared a corner near the dressing rooms and had cast iron weights installed, as well as a couple of outrageously expensive Xander machines, those exciting new devices for physical health. Having lived with athletic agility, she was loath to put up with the body of an Akamadetian. Uh, that's it. <clears throat> one more. Uh, yes, that's it. Okay, one more. But it never is. Never is what? One more. You say one more, I do one more, but then you can say one more in patent false advertising. Oh, yeah, come on, Erasmus, we can do one more. Are you even listening <sighs> to me, pet? Of course I'm listening, and you have one more repetition. Come on now, you can do it. In the event, the professor was spared an endless repetition of one more by the arrival of Mix and Whistle. Hello, Doctor, Professor. Are you ready to suit up? Hello, Abigail. We're close. I'd really quite like to bathe before travel, though. I've managed to get quite dewy, if that's all right. It is your laboratory. Are you sure you don't want to come with us? The auto recall worked flawlessly this last time. One perfect occurrence does not a pattern make. Let's see if we can duplicate that experience a few times and then I'll consider it. It does seem like your experience in the circus was edifying. Oh, more than that, it was remarkable. We learned such amazing skills. We made friends with the most interesting people. It's taken me all my willpower not to track down Hiram and Rosa and Gus. They must all still be alive now. But they wouldn't know you at all. They were friends with Tubbs and Hildy. Oh, I realize that. I confess, I'm simply curious how our deaths affected them. I suppose that's only natural. We all are curious to know how people might talk about us after we die. Though in this case, it wouldn't be me they were talking about. I suppose I'm just being foolish. I don't think it is foolish. I do, however, feel that one of the dangers of this technology is that we might become cloudy over the boundaries of what happens to others and what happens to self. Such as the murky lines of sexual congress between transmigrationalists. I beg your pardon? Oh, don't mind me, Abigail. Like others of my ilk, I'm prone to talking to myself. To cover his embarrassment, the professor makes his excuses and heads to the dressing room to don his Faraday armor. 
The doctor emerges from her bath to do the same, and within moments they are suited up and on the dais, ready to travel once again into the unknown. Laboratory, Dr. Petronella Sage, King's College, 14th January, 1895. For the first transmigration of the new year, I have set the trajectory to 1665. The improved pitching system has proven effective at time targeting. Now I shall focus on attempting to pinpoint place. A close review of all data gathered thus far has revealed interesting pattern groupings in the Cladney sands. If the pattern contains wavy lines, we have transmigrated to Europe. If straight edges to the Americas, and in the one instance when corners were employed, we went to Africa. Pitch works to create patterns, but also to vibrations. Louder sounds produce greater vibrations. I can achieve a controllable volume by adding bows to the Cladney devices. If I am correct, then this transmigration will take us to Europe in 1665. Return chimes are set to ring in exactly one week. There we are. Abigail is all in readiness. Pitch is set as per your earlier instructions. Plants watered, animals fed. Yes, all is in readiness. Erasmus. I live for adventure with you, my dear. Will the doctor's calculations prove correct? Will they end up in 1660s Europe? We'll find out after this short musical break. And now, dear friends, we invite you to listen to the talented melodical expressions of The Cog is Dead. One mighty cop. 
Our story. The doctor predicted they would transmigrate to Europe in the 1660s, and she was correct. Specifically, they have landed in France in 1667. They are currently in the bodies of highwaymen somewhere in the forest surrounding Versailles. Arras? Oh, my head! I think mine must hurt worse, Bet. Oh, you've been shot. No, I think I was bashed on the head. It feels like it did at Arstadt. Well, that will be because you were shot in the head again by something that looks less than cannon-sized, thank goodness. Let's see. The bullet entered through the temporal lobe. <laughs> How appropriate. And, oh good, it exited via the parietal. Well... Let me bind you up, then. Once we have the bleeding stopped, we can check to see if you've had any loss of function. Pet. Yes, Erasmus? It seems you're a man again. Oh. Uh, am I? I hadn't noticed. I must be getting used to the feeling. Uh, where are your injuries? Do I need to bind your wounds? That's funny. I'm not injured anywhere. Poison? No. No residue of bitterness or vomit. Disease? No, the linen is clean. The skin smells sweet. At first, I did not know you were a man because of the hair. The hair? Well, the wig, actually. You're wearing the most remarkable long, curly periwig. Huh. So I am. Uh, but then I noticed the greatcoat. Uh, and the clothes need petticoat breeches. Odd thing, that. Petticoat used to apply to men's clothing. Another word for waistcoat, but somehow it's come to be associated with women's clothing only. Huh. Yes, well, I'm sure all this trivia about clothes is most interesting. But don't you think we should set about discovering where and who we are? I cannot tell you the who, but I am certain by how we are dressed that you succeeded in the win. We are certainly in the 1660s. It is most strange that I cannot discover how my body died. What did you say? I said nothing, dear heart. No, uh, you quite distinctly did. I heard you say, I'm not dead yet, or something of that sort. Oh, I swear to you, I said nothing. You must be hearing things. Claude, Claude, Rafe, boys, what happened? Well, now I know who we are. One of us must be Rafe, and the other one Claude. Before the doctor could think of a witty retort, 
A rather large man with a tangled black periwig and red bulbous nose crashed through the brush and landed on his knees next to the professor. Rife, you're short. Is that why you let the coach go by? Claude, are you hurt? Um, no, I'm fine, it seems. Now why are you talking French on me, Claude? You know I never learned it. I'm speaking French? Why, yes, I suppose I am. Does this body know English? Alright, who called me a boorish cad simply because I spoke in the wrong language? No one called you anything, pet. Are you sure you're quite alright? I distinctly heard someone with a French accent call me a boorish cad in King's English. Oh, I see what happened. You took one of your fits again, didn't you? You's always a bit muddled after your fits. Fits? You know, the fits where you shake and tremble and your eyes roll back and you froth a bit. Fits. Oh, I'm epileptic? That would explain things, but epileptic fits are not usually fatal, unless the sufferer swallows their tongue and blocks the airway. But I show no signs of asphyxiation. Oh, what are you on about, Claude? I'm sorry. John. John. <laughs> I must have taken a fit and passed out. When I came to, I found Rafe here bleeding from a head wound. As you can see, I've patched it as best possible. But I think we should head for home and get him some proper medical care. But we're miles from Paris and we haven't got the loot you promised Francois. I don't think he'd be any too happy with you showing back up without what funds you owe. Who is Francois again? This fit must have been a doozy. He was completely robbed you of your wits. Francois, the Earl of Sandwiches Factor, the one sent to collect your debt, the whole reason you decided to take to the rodeo in France in the first place. Take to the road? Claude, is he Claude Duval? Have you lost your mind, man? Of course it's Claude. Oh, John, yes, I know what we should do now. You move down the road a bit and, and scout for the next coach. We'll stay here and set up for the attempt. Just give us the regular signal, right? All right. Um, what is the regular signal? Uh, the white-throated spiral, dummy. Right. Cheerio, then. This is the most exciting of days, Petra. You will never guess who you are. Claude? Oh, not just any Claude. You are the most famous Claude Duval, the most romantic, the most charming, the most devastating highwayman in English history. But John just said we are in France, and I distinctly seem to be able to speak French. Ah, but Duval was French. He came to England in the employ of Stuart Loyalists, who were exiled in France during Cromwell's reign, but returned upon the restoration of the monarchy. Uh, there was a period of time when things became too hot for Duval in England. He returned to live in France. He stayed in his native land for a couple of years, but then traveled back to England and returned to his thieving ways. He was eventually arrested and executed, and oh... Oh, what? Well, Duval was an immensely romantic figure, notorious for his courtly manners and gracious treatment of those he robbed. There is a famous story where it's a knight and his lady. Uh, the story goes, once the knight and his lady were realized they were about to be robbed, the lady and a young sprightly creature pulled out a flagellette and began to play. Duval then pulled out a flagellette of his own to play the duet. Duval then asked the knight for the permission to dance with the lady, which he graciously granted. And as soon as the dance was over, Duval waits on the lady back to the coach, without offering her any of the least affront. The knight then gave Duval the exorbitant sum of a hundred pounds, which Duval received with good grace, and it is reported to have said 
Sir, you are liberal and shall have no cause to repent your being so. This hundred given so generously is better than ten times that sum taken by force. Your noble behavior has excused you the other three hundred which you have in the coach with you. After this, he was very civilly wished them all a good journey. My, that is romantic. He was quite the figure. People of the time would make up stories of encounters to garner fame for having been robbed by him. And so the problem is that I'm a highwayman? I'm not sure how that differs from being a pirate. No, it's just that the king himself attempted to intercede the man's behalf, but the magistrate would have none of it. This execution would be a great public spectacle. Ladies turned out in their finery and men raised a glass to his honor. History is definitive on this. Claude Duval was executed in January 1670. Oh, and if my calculations were correct, we've arrived in 1665, and I will vacate this body in one week. Oh, I'm not sure how it happened, Erasmus, but I think we may have just changed history. Oh, that is a pickle. Oh, dear, that was a signal. Oh, I'm not quite sure how to do this highwayman bit. From what I've read, it's mostly standing in the road to stop a coach and then bluffing one's way through the encounter. With courtly manners. Well, in Claude Duval's case, yes. I have a sword and two loaded pistols at my belt. You seem to have two pistols as well. Unless it was you who shot me, they're both probably still ready to use. I suggest you step into the road and fire one pistol in the air to get their attention. I'll train my aim on the coachman, and you can take it from there. This is not a very good plan. We have no time for better. Well, good afternoon, gentlemen. Would you be so kind as to disembark your conveyance so we might have a small chat? Who is it? Who dares to stop the coach of Louisa de la Valliere? I have here the child of the king. I will not be detained. There are no riches in this coach, save the fine golden embroidery you will find in my robe. May I step out so that you may assess its value? Madame de la Valliere, I would never be so cruel as to imperil you nor the precious child in your arms, you can be assured. If you will only be patient, we shall have you back on your way to Versailles without incident. All right, Chinaman, that robe does look quite heavy with gold and totally inappropriate for this climate. I am a traveler in this land, yes. Oh, wait! Young, is that you? I have been known by that name. Young, it is me, Professor Savant. Professor... Savant? Oh, and this is Dr. Sage, Dr. Petronella Sage. We met you before, uh, on your mountain in China. Oh, and then I met you again last summer in Senegal. Oh, oh, that hasn't happened to you yet. I have not been in China for many years. Oh, this would have been many, many years ago. Do you remember the night you first drank the elixir when you woke up and we were there? I was your acolyte and the doctor was your dog, Ben-Ben. Ah, the transmigrationists. I had come to believe I had imagined you. Oh, no. Here we are, still transmigrating. Petra, 
You remember Weibo Young. I don't remember him, and you are wasting time. Oh, Petra, surely you remember the Chinese alchemist we met? Yes, I said that. He's much smaller than I remember. And you are much larger. But I believe this is not a good time for a reunion. Oh, yes, the coach. Driver, if you will consent to leave the Chinaman with us, you may drive on. But Louis is expecting the master at the banquet this evening. I cannot arrive at the palace without the guest of honor. In that case, Wei Boyang, you will have to relinquish your gold and we will arrange to meet you at a later time. And if I give you this gold, I shall have none to wear before the king. You were prepared to surrender it just a moment ago. That was when I thought I was dealing with a ruthless highwayman. I would have made the sacrifice to protect mother and child. But now that I know I am dealing with a reasoned woman of science... <laughs> oh, very well. When will you return to Paris? In two days' time. I shall watch for your coach, then, and we shall speak further. I will look forward to it with great anticipation. Who said that? Who said what, Dr. Sage? Who said I was being too soft? Petra, no one said any such thing. Uh, let's let the master go on his way and get you some hot coffee or mulled wine or, or whatever they use as a tonic in 17th century France. I'm sorry, you are right. Oh, lay on, driver, to Versailles. And so, the non-larcenous doctor allows the mysterious Chinese master to go on to his meeting with the Sun King. Will she have another chance to meet with him? And what are these voices she continues to hear? We'll find out after this brief word from our sponsor. Hello, listeners. Eddie Louise here, head writer for the Tales of Sage and Savant. I read a lot, and when I pick up a book, I am generally looking for more than distraction. I want a story that ignites my imagination and spurs my brain into action. I want just the kind of fiction published by our sponsor, Edge Publishing. Edge publishes thought-provoking full-length novels and anthologies of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Featuring works by established authors and emerging new voices, Edge is pleased to provide quality literary entertainment in both print and pixels. Books from Edge Publishing are available at your local bookstore and online for Kindle, Kobo, Nook, iTunes, and Google Play. You can view titles and find out about future releases at www.edgewebsite.com. Edge Publishing, when you want writing to spark your imagination. Yes, dear friends, you heard it here. Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing, for stories that stand and deliver. And now, back to our show. When we left our doctor, she had embarked on the life of a highwayman, stopping coaches and pilfering from the occupants. Though this particular highwayman was most famous in England, he was French-born and had returned to his native land when things had become too hot for him in England. By a strange twist of fate, the first coach she attempted to rob held the ancient Chinese alchemist Wei Boyong. Two days later, as promised, the immortal came back through the forest in a coach bound for Paris. They robbed the other passenger of the coach and sent it on its way to Paris shy by one passenger. Having repaired to a nearby roadhouse, the trio fell deep into conversation. And so I have been hearing voices, which has never happened before. 
I have learned to suppress it and ignore it, though. Now, tell me about yourself. You've continued living life at a normal pace, but never got any older. I do believe that I am aging, but the physical tissues of my body do not seem to reflect that process. You are correct. Oh, so you did it! You achieved immortality! Why have you not bottled and sold your elixir? Why, you'd be richer than Midas by now. As you have experience firsthand, the elixir more commonly produces death. Also, I have come to view the search for eternal life as foolish. I would not call you a fool. And why should you not? I am the only of my kind. Immortal and yet still earthbound. I outlive each and every friend I make. There is no lover, no child, no king that can stand by my side in life. All soon fade away. It is a lesson for we alchemists to learn. Not all that is possible to conceive is worthy of our study. I do not see the problem in studying a thing, as long as you are careful about what happens to the results of your research. You believe you can control those that come after you? Those that would use your research for ill or as a way to grab power. Well, currently, I keep all of my researches secret. I do not want the technology of transmigration to escape into the world before I have examined all possible uses of it. There are two problems with that philosophy, Doctor. First, secrets are rarely kept for long. And second, we could spend every minute of our lives attempting to contemplate what others think and only accumulate a thimbleful of their actual intent. People are resourceful and inventive and as different as snowflakes. There will always be someone who thinks of the thing you cannot conceive. They argued the finer points of immortality in life and in one's work far into the night. In the morning, Weiboyang appeared in a fine French coat and periwig and announced his intention to join them as a highwayman. I have had no better chance to see such things from the vantage point of the brigand. It looks to be quite a dashing pursuit. Oh yes, it can be. The key to Claude Duval's popularity is his gallantry. Here, come along and I'll demonstrate. For four days, the three of them terrorized the road to Versailles, retiring each night to the pub for philosophical discussions and scientific comparisons. At the end of the week, as the moment of recall approached, Sage spoke with Wei Boyang. Teacher, will you live into my time? It is possible. Will you come to meet me in person? I, I mean, in my own body. I do not know the wisdom of that request, but I do have some time to consider it. It's just, I should quite like showing you my laboratory, discussing my discoveries, in a place where I have access to my logs and my results. Being immortal does not give one the ability to see the future, Doctor. But should the time come, if I believe it is the right thing to do, then I shall surely come to see your magnificent laboratory. And so they drank ale and talked until the recall hour. They parted as friends do, with the hope of meeting each other again in the future. Will this come to pass for our heroes? Has Sage changed history by visiting death on the dashing highwayman three years too soon? We'll find out in the continuing story of The Tales of Sage and Savant.
The Tales of Sage and Savant is a Twin Star production brought to you on the first of each month from our Southern California studios. Starring Eddie Louise as Sage, Chip Michael as Savant, Emily Riley Pyatt as Abigail, and Justin Bremer as the narrator. Soundtrack music, sound design, and audio engineering by Chip Michael. Special music in this episode was provided by The Cog Is Dead. Check them out at thecogisdead.com. We would like to extend our gratitude to this month's sponsor, Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing. Episode 206, Stand and Deliver, was written by Eddie Louise. Are you interested in the historical and scientific information we included in this episode? Like us on Facebook or check out our website, sageandsavant.com, to find the facts behind the fiction. And finally, as always, we urge you to remember that death is no barrier to science.